number that we uh, started in chapter 3 and we took the, the first uh, section of uh, chapter 3 goes to the end of verse 9 and we're going to continue on and we looked at the, uh, the beginning of that chapter last week under the heading Next Level Spiritual Growth and we had four main headings we read we saw from God's word that we needed the right food a baby needs the right food to grow and as a baby grows older that diet needs to change and we need the right food to grow. We need God's word. But also we read from God's word and saw from this passage that there were barriers that were getting in the way of the Corinthians growing. Barriers getting in the way. To grow we need to remove these barriers and sin is a big barrier that stops spiritual growth. And so we needed to repent of sin and particularly with regard to this passage the sin that was there was a sin of disunity, a sin of, uh, of, of conflict, a sin of bickering between one another. And that stops growth personally and as a church. And then we saw that we need the right attitude to our pastors. We saw that from verse 5. We mustn't have a wrong attitude. We mustn't lift our pastors up above what they are. They are just servants. They're just mouthpieces. And then we realize within all of this, there is no growth unless God gives the growth. We need God to give the growth. And so last week, you remember, we were very much thinking of growth in terms of an agricultural illustration, of of a plant growing. It was talking about God's field uh, and, and the fellow workers as Paul was describing himself and Apollos as planting and sowing and God alone giving the increase. Just like in our garden, I think uh, Mummy Rachel might tell you that she does all the planting and all the watering. Uh, I sometimes dig the garden and do the heavy work, that's what I claim. But neither of us make the plants grow. We can plant them, we can water them, and they grow. And how does that happen? God does it. And just in the same sense as God works like that in the physical garden, spiritually that's what God does. We need to be watered. We need to be fed. We need these things, but it is God that gives the increase. And then in that verse 9, the very last part of verse 9, he ends with the word God's building. So he's talked about God's fellow fellow workers being him and Apollos, Paul and Apollos. And he's talked about the church at Corinthian being God's field. And they've got that from before, about watering and growing and, and planting. And now he's bringing in a new metaphor, a new illustration. And that illustration changes to the building. The building. And we have to remember that this illustration of the plant growing and now the building growing is in the light of a problem that Paul identified. Paul is not afraid of bringing to the attention of the Corinthians the problems that they have, the challenges that they have within the church. In chapter 1, Paul identifies a great big problem that this church has. That there, there are divisions. And the divisions are stopping the growth. And the divisions need 
addressing. Divisions in the church cause a huge problem. It stops individuals and churches from growing and it robs God of his glory. And Paul's concerned about this at Corinth. He's concerned that the church isn't growing four years on and they should be growing more than they are. They should be eating much stronger spiritual food and they can't and they're still babies and what's happened and one of the big problems is with regard to unity. So Paul tells the church at Corinth and he tells us now that unity comes from Christ and the cross being at the centre. The world's wisdom will not unite us, but Christ will. And so that the next section of verses and the verses that we're looking at today from verse 10 through to the end of the chapter 23, we will be seeing this illustration of a building and the theme is the warning against divisions. Now Paul is using the, the, the nature of a building and he's, he's teaching the building and there's some do's and there are some don'ts that we're going to see in this passage. There are some do's and there are some don'ts. And we have a do and don't sandwich if you like. He starts off with three do's and then he moves on to three don'ts and then he comes back to conclude it with a couple of do's. So there are positive things that Paul is telling the church at Corinth that they need to do and there are negative things that he's telling the church not to do and that's how this passage is made up. He starts with three positive, has three negative in the middle and finishes on a very strong positive. So he starts off with you need to have or do have the right. Do have the right. We have three things you have to have right. And the first one is a right attitude. A right attitude. If you are building, if you wanted to see a church to grow, if you wanted to see yourself grow, you have to have the right attitude. Do have the right attitude. Now Paul has already said it's only God that gives the growth. But in this context, God uses human agents, he uses people to achieve his work. So he's using Apollos, he was using Paul to do his work. And last week when we were going through, we noted Paul's humility. He's called to be a preacher, he's called to be an apostle. He has this great task that's being given to him. And yet he asks the question, what is Paul? What is Paul? It's not who is Paul. What is Paul? What is he? And the answer was, he's a servant. And so Paul was very humble in his approach to his ministry. He's got an attitude of humility. He's got an attitude of humility to the task that he's doing. And he says, what is Paul? He is a servant. What is Apollos? He is a servant. He is used by God to do God's work. It's God that gives the increase. Now, yes, God used Apollos. And God used 
Paul in the salvation of the Corinthians and, and many others. But it was God that assigned them. We read that in that earlier passage. That God assigned them. God did this. God planned this. They were just doing God's plan. The Lord chose them and equipped them for the task. And here in verse 10, we hear Paul saying these words. Yeah. He says, he is like a skilled builder. He is like a skilled builder. Now, an Englishman can never say that about themselves. Yeah? We were not allowed to be positive about ourselves. We might say, if Paul was an Englishman, I'm not a bad builder. Yeah? I'm not too shabby. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah? I think Paul was a bit more like an African, Nigerian. This, yeah? He's speaking positive words of affirmation, and he was saying, I am a skilled builder. And we might think that he was being boastful. But as always, we have to see it in the context of the whole verse, in the context of the whole passage. And verse 10 starts. He doesn't start with saying, I am a skilled master builder. He said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And so we see the humility of Paul here. Yes, he was like a skilled master builder. Yes, he was laying a foundation. Yes, he was doing God's work. But it was only because of the grace of God that was given to him. It was only because of God's grace. And you see, if we're wanting to grow as an individual, if we're wanting to grow as a church, we need to have that same attitude of mind. We need to humbly come and realize that we cannot make it happen. Paul needed to be like a skilled master builder, but the only way he could was because of God's grace. And we need to be like skilled master builders in our own lives. We have a responsibility to our growth. God gives the growth, but we have to water, we have to feed. In a church situation, we need pastors and leaders that have this attitude of realizing that it is God's grace that enables them to communicate God's word. It's God's grace that enables them to, to study and read and uh, be able to communicate God's word. And if you as an individual want to grow, you need to humbly come to God asking for his grace to enable you. So to build, we have to have the right attitude. And secondly, do have a right foundation. Do have a right foundation. Foundations are, are so, so important. Knowing what you're doing is, is so, so important. Uh, when I was uh, working at the bank, uh, I had to uh, instruct and oversee some of the designers designing uh, our adverts, our literature, uh, our marketing campaigns, and we would have a very clear idea of what we wanted. Uh, the team would come together, we'd meet, we'd work out what we wanted, uh, we'd have a, a clear brief, a little plan of what we wanted. And then I would give it to the designer and tell the designer what I wanted. 
And nine times out of ten, the designer would come back very proudly, very excited, with something totally different. Totally different. Now, if you're a designer, yeah, and you're here, beware of that. Yeah? If you want to design your own things, design your own things. If someone's paying you to design for something, design what they ask for. Yeah? It will, it will bless your business, it will bless your heart rate, and people will enjoy working with you. Because what here we have is like, this plan that I gave was like a foundation. It was a foundation of what I wanted, it's a foundation of what the bank needed, and they just took it and ripped it up. I'll do my own. And it was the wrong foundation, they were doing it their own way, it disappointed me, it upset those that were going along. We had to learn how to get on with each other. You see, Paul didn't do things his own way. God had told him what it was to be like. And he laid the foundation on Jesus Christ. No one can lay a foundation, verse 11, other than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, Paul didn't decide, I'm going to do something a bit special. I'm going to do it my, my own way. I'm going to bring some things in here that will make Jesus more exciting. I'm going to bring some things in here that will make Jesus more acceptable to the Gentiles. I'm going to bring some things in here which will make Jesus more acceptable to the people that worship died in the Ephesians. No. He just simply did what he was told to. And that was laid the foundation on Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 and verse 2, earlier, he tells us of how he preached to the Corinthians when he got there. And he said, I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when the Apostle Paul was there, he was putting down this foundation. And the foundation was there. The foundation was Jesus Christ, the foundation of the church, the foundation of your spiritual growth has to be Jesus Christ. The success or a failure of a building is in its foundations. If the foundations are dodgy, if the foundations are wrong, the building will fall to pieces. We all live here in Cyprus and we like being here. But I'm sure that some of you may be living in houses that have got cracks that are running through it. Yeah, I've certainly seen them. There's a house on the way out to uh, Iskela and the whole apartment block is becoming like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I think we'll see it on postcards before long. It'll be called the Teen Leaning Tower of nearly at a skeleton. It is quite something. And why is it going like that? Because the foundations aren't there. And one day it'll come down and crash. And the success of the universal church is its foundation is in Christ. And the success or failure of a local church is where its foundation is found. The foundation of the church needs to be in Christ. And the parallel passage to this, and the one that we read, had read earlier for us by Brother Tibetan in Ephesians 2, gives us more clarity. In verse 20 of Ephesians 2, it talks about being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Slightly different 
uh, architectural uh, language there. The most important part of the foundation in the olden days, those days, was the cornerstone. The cornerstone could be as big as 18 meters long, huge, great big stones that were put in their place, and they gave the, the, the stability and the structure and the direction of what that building would be like. And Christ is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. He is the most important bit of it. And the apostles and, and the prophets built on that foundation. They didn't change the foundation. Paul has built on the foundation. The foundation has been set. The foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul and the apostles built on that foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were used by God to, amongst other things, build the foundation of the church. And that foundation is Christ, and we have his words here, brought to us by the prophets and the apostles, and we have all that we need going forward. We do not need new foundations. We don't need new ideas for building the church. It's on Christ. And we have to be very careful how we build. Very careful how we build, because this foundation is Christ, and the apostles have set this in place. And if we want to grow, we need to be building on the foundations of the church. And if we want to grow individually, we need to be building on the foundation, and the foundation is Christ. And Paul's charge was to the Corinthians to be careful. He said, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Take care how he builds upon it. And so the third do is do have the right materials. Do have the right materials. We can find that in verses 12 through to 15. You see, Paul now concerns himself about the ongoing building project. The foundation is secure. It is in Christ. What is going to happen next? How are things going to go? When we first came to Cyprus, one of the kind things that my parents did was introduce us to various tradesmen, craftsmen, to be able to help us around the house. And we have a plumber. Our plumber is excellent. Our plumber, whenever he comes to our house, he always has the same diagnosis of the problem. He comes, he likes to talk, he, he, I just would love it to, if he just got on with it and I could come and see him afterwards and pay, but no, I have to stand beside him. And he talks me through the whole process and he will look at the, the, the problem, the tap or the offending pipe or the pump that's wrong and with some great big wrench he'll be banging it and saying the problem is this cheap material. This is a rubbish pump. This pump was made in China. This is why it's broken. You sh this is what's wrong with it. This is just, just rubbish. It's no quality. It is just useless. And I'm afraid I have to agree with this diagnosis because when the developer who built the house was building it he didn't care for quality he cared for cost and he made no investment in the pump he put there 
There is a nice one from Germany, shall we say, and a nice one from China, shall we say. They were both shiny, and one lasts a year and a half, and the other one now that we had put in seven years ago is still going. You see, because our developer, our builder, didn't care for the quality, we are paying the price now. You see, Paul's not recommending a stingy building project. In Paul's economy of building, the church is to spend big and spend well in the terms of growth. Not in the physical building, it doesn't matter about the physical building. I think it's good to have something that shows something of God's quality, something we care for, but it's not about the building. It's about the church, the people. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest. And so we have to this mindset of a building back in those days. Uh, maybe a temple in those days. And a temple in those days would have been adorned with gold and silver and precious stones. And there's a contrast between a, a building being looking good and being what it is to something that's gone up quickly with wood and hay and straw. I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's a building and it's there and it's functioning. But what he goes on to say, it will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be Revealed by fire, the fire will test what sort of work each has done. Just recently, you may have saw it in the news a couple of months back. It was actually the day uh, Brother Bo left for England. I remember it. We were at the airport. We had to get back to our house quickly. There was a big fire near our house on the hillside. Now, now thankfully, not too much damage was done. It could have been much worse on properties. But there were a couple of buildings that were, that were damaged. And as you go and look at those buildings now, this is what's happened. The damage is limited by the material that was used. You see, the stone walls and the stone walls are still standing. They didn't get burned down. But the roof that was made of beams of wood and bamboo matting, they're destroyed. They've fallen in, they've got burnt up. And, and, and what Paul is saying here to these Corinthians, he's saying, look, if, if you're building on the foundation, and you're building with wood and hay and straw, it is going to get burnt up. It is not lasting. He's making an illustration of two types of materials. Some are perishable and some are imperishable. Gold and silver and precious stones don't burn up. Wood, hay and straw burns up. Now it's easier and cheaper to make a building with wood and hay and straw. And it's probably much quicker. And the building might go up quicker, it'll go up with less effort, it'll be cheaper to build, but when the fire happens, it does not last, it is consumed. And Paul is warning people about how they're building their Christian lives. If you're building it quickly, gimmickly, 
with wooden strands, wooden hand straw, that is going to get burned up. That doesn't last. But if you're investing and building with gold and silver and, and, and precious stones, you've got something that is solid, something that is going to last. And, and some churches now decide to, to try and build themselves up with gimmicks. And how do we get the youth in? We get the youth in by, by doing this or by doing that. How do we get this type of people in? How do we please the people? How do we get this? And then they do things in a, in a way that's building with wood and hay and straw. It might look like they've got a full building of people, but the quality is not going to last the fire. You see, verse 14 goes on, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now we have to be careful with these verses. These verses have been taken in all different directions and, and, and wrongly applied. But in essence, what has been said here is as a church and as individuals, we have a responsibility to how we grow. And the responsibility boils down to this picture language. Are we building with gold and silver and precious stones or are we building with hay and straw? You see, the foundation is in Christ and we're built on Christ and our salvation is in Christ. But how we build and how we grow from that will have huge consequences. Now, now these verses have been wrongly applied, applied to the notion of purgatory. We've not got time to deal with that now, but we can do that this evening on Zoom if the question comes up. But this does imply that there will be reward in heaven. There will be rewards in heaven. We all make heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. Full stop. No one is in heaven will be in heaven because of what they've done. But within heaven, it seems as though our growth will be rewarded. And if our growth is being made in straw and hay and wood, it's burned up and there's nothing there to reward. And the reward that will be will be for things that last through the fire, the precious stone, the, the silver and, and the gold. And that's the picture language that we have going on here. And just to make it very, very, very practically, we have people who complain of little or no spiritual growth. And then we can ask the question, we should ask the question, what sort of investment are you making in your spiritual growth? You see, if you're saying, oh, I'm not growing spiritually, and you're not coming to the prayer meeting, I'm not growing spiritually, and you're not going to the growth meeting, I'm not growing spiritually, and you're not reading God's word for yourself, and you're not praying for yourself, or maybe you, you do a little tiny sort of devotion of two minutes in the morning, and when you get to bed at the end of the day, you, you say, God, keep me safe. You're not going to grow. That investment is wood and straw and hay, and quite frankly, it's rubbish. Well, if you're wanting to grow, you need to invest properly. 
If you're wanting a building to grow, you have to invest in it. If you're wanting a building to last, you have to put the right material into it. It takes time and energy to grow spiritually. It takes sacrifice and self-control to grow spiritually. And these things are costly. And in reality, we have to remember this alongside the fact that we need God to give the increase. It's only God that will give the increase. But God will give increase out of nothing. If you are not making the effort to read God's word, you're not going to grow. If you are not making the effort to pray, you are not going to grow. If you're not making the effort to gather together, to be with God's people, to prepare yourself to have the right attitude when you're together, you're not going to grow. If there's sin in your life and you know that sin in your life and you're cherishing it and you're enjoying it, you're not going to grow. There's a cost to growing. There's an expense to growing. And we see it here in the picture language of gold and silver and precious stone. My friends, when the gold and the precious and the silver stone go in, there is a reward. There's a reward of our growth now and there will be a reward in eternity. And so as a church and as individuals, we need to take great care as how to build ourselves up. There is a temptation nowadays to do everything quickly, isn't there? Everything has to happen quickly. We need instant coffee. We can't wait for it to percolate. We need instant meals. We pop it in the microwave and two minutes later we have jollof and rice and and vegetables, and, and that would took our mother three hours to prepare, and in two minutes it's out of the microwave. And we think we can do the same with our own spirituality. And it doesn't happen, it's hard work. And we have to ask God to help us. Because only God can build us. But we have to make that investment, and make that effort, and use the right materials, and have the right attitude. But then the passage moves on to some negatives. And Paul has three don't be's. He comes up with three things that, Christ, that, that the Corinthians should not be. So what are these? He says, firstly, in verses 16 to 14, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. What is the temptation of being ignorant of? And Paul is reminding the Corinthians Corinthians, they're God's temples, a building. And then the buildings is changed from any building to the temple. And he says to them, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Don't be ignorant of the fact that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you. And this is an amazing fact. You see, the temple in the Old Testament was in Jerusalem. And the temple, when it was first built by Solomon, was an incredible building. And then as it got destroyed and rebuilt, it still always has been an incredible building. And the, the, the nature of this building is it signified God's presence with his people. And now, these Corinthians have been told... You're the temple. And what Paul was saying to them is, God is dwelling with you. 
That's the same with us. Don't be ignorant. You are God's temple. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour, if that's where your hope is in, in Christ, in Christ alone, and his death and his resurrection, then you are his temple. And as God's people, the Holy Spirit dwells with us. We can think of that in the context here. We can think of God's Spirit dwelling with us as a church. But let's look at that language a bit deeper. You see, the fact is more than that. He is saying that the God's Spirit dwells in you. Christian friend, I want you to get your minds around that. God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is dwelling in you. On the one hand, that should be exciting. On the other hand, it should frighten us. God's dwelling with you, Christian friend. It has huge implications, doesn't it? Paul, in that parallel passage in Ephesians 2, in verse 21, he goes on, he puts it like this, talks about in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Is a church we are dwelt with by the Spirit. And as individuals, we are being indwelt by the Holy Spirit when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so I said, on the one hand, this should excite us, and on the other hand, it should give us a, a righteous, godly fear because it brings a huge responsibility because as Paul carries on as he's speaking to these Corinthians he's saying collectively you are God's church you are God's temple and then in verse 17 he says if anyone destroys God's temple God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple now what's Paul been talking about with these people disunity He's been talking to these people about conflict. He's been talking about these people about quarreling. And friends, this is, this is frightening, isn't it? Because these people at Corinth were in danger of destroying God's temple. The temple where the Holy Spirit was dwelling. And they were, they were getting close to destroying it by the fact that they were gossiping and chatting and, 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 and they had the wrong attitude. And they were quarreling. Disunity destroys the temple. Sin destroys the temple. Laziness destroys the temple. Distractions destroy the temple. And so don't be ignorant, friends. Don't be ignorant. As a church, the Holy Spirit dwells within us and we can destroy the unity and the unity, disunity destroys the temple. And in your own individual lives, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And your own personal sin can wreck that relationship. And your laziness and the distractions and the things you feed your mind with pull you away.
And if we mess with God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You see, we need to have on our minds at all times that we are God's temple, and the Holy Spirit dwells with you. I think if we really had that on our minds 24-7, it would really help us when it comes to battling sin. It would really help us when we would normally go away of temptation. We're thinking, do we want to take the Holy Spirit there with us? Am I watching this film? The Holy Spirit is there with me. This relationship, this conversation, the Holy Spirit is here with me. That's how we grow. We need to be reminded, we need to be not ignorant, and we need not to be deceived. Don't be deceived is the second one, the second point. Don't be deceived, verse 18 to 20. It's so easy to get tricked by the wisdom of the world and the culture around us, and Paul warns the Corinthians, don't get sucked into it. Don't get sucked into it. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Paul's straight talking. He's really striking, isn't he? You see, pride will make you and is making the Corinthians think that they had it all sorted out. But now if you are thinking around your salvation, if you're thinking around your Christian walk, and if you're putting it into the wisdom of this world, then what you're doing is pointless. If, If you are thinking your wisdom, the wisdom of the world, is sorting out your salvation, is sorting out your Christian walk, is adding to what you do, then it's absolutely wrong because in verse 19 he says, For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Now we have to be careful here. There is wisdom within this world that is a blessing to us. Medicine, buildings, technology. What I'm thinking particularly about here, what this passage is thinking about here, is bringing the world's wisdom into the church and into your own spiritual growth. We don't need the world's wisdom. We have God's wisdom. And when we add the world's wisdom into our relationship with God, we are rejecting his wisdom and we are being fools. Because that wisdom is futile. The only way to be made right with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way for us to grow in Christ is through the Holy Spirit. These other things, these other things, although they may be wise, they may get in the way. And God knows everything. And he's telling us that the thoughts of the greatest minds without Christ is futile and empty and without hope. So friends, don't be deceived. 
Don't be deceived by the world. Don't be deceived by its wisdom. Go into God's word. Hold on to God's word. Let the world laugh at you as it will. But you will become truly wise. Because as Paul said, let him become a fool that he may become wise. We can only be wise in Christ and not in the wisdom of this world. And it leads on to this next don't. The next and the last don't we have is don't be boastful. You see, man's wisdom is futile, and because man's wisdom is futile, we are not to boast in man. So as the passage says, so let no one boast in men. And what was the problem in Corinth? What was causing the division? The division that was happening here is because they were boasting in men. I follow Paulus, I follow Paul, I follow Peter. This is my man, he does the best miracles. This is my man, he's got the best logic. This is my man, he's got the best reasoning and the best arguments and he preaches the best sermons. And they were taking man-made issues and they were making them more important than the gospel. And they were extolling the men and they were worshipping the men almost. And, and, And Paul would say, no, you don't boast in men. You don't boast in men. And you know what? Right now, the church of Christ is weak in so many parts of the world because a man or a man-made issue has taken first place and the gospel has been pushed out. What do I mean by this? Well, sometimes there are man-made issues that are important and honourable, but they're not the most important. And so we see some churches putting too much emphasis on their church. Their church is the big thing. Their church is the the thing that they're making a noise about, or perhaps it's a denomination. And now we have this, don't we? The G-O-Daddy is being worshipped almost like God. He's been extolled to this great position. And you don't know what the church stands for. You just know this, this is a man. This, there he is. And in this day and age, we'd like to mention his wife will be there too. And there'll be the mummy and the daddy geo. It'll be all about them. And when they arrive, their protocol brings them in the great big cars and they get swept in. And where is Christ and Christ crucified? He's been pushed out. The denomination, the pastor, and they're important, but too much emphasis can be put on them. And we might think, oh, we don't do that at LPC. Well, praise God, it may never happen. But you see, there can be other temptations that can happen. And there can be other very real temptations. And sometimes you can put too much emphasis on your own favorite theological issue. The Pharisees were very religious. But the Pharisees had got it totally wrong because they were so legalistic that they pushed Christ out. They couldn't see Christ because of their legalism. And you see it around the world, don't you? People have become very legalistic. And you have some churches where they wear all white. 
And that's what saves them. And you have some churches that believe that the version of their Bible is the only version. And God's word, the version, has become more important than Christ and Christ crucified. And for some it's freedom in Christ. We can do what we like. And some it's a style of worship. Some are arguing that that's wrong and some are arguing that that's right. And later in this letter, the Paul addresses the concerns about spiritual gifts. And, and, and the emphasis can mean that these things become the most important. And we start boasting in the wrong things. And the wrong things start taking the priority. And friends, it is all too easy to get it wrong. And sometimes I think us in our Bible-based, more conservative approach to God's word, we can fall in this too, and we can think that it's all about us being reformed, it's all about us being evangelical, it's all about us being Bible-based, and knowing Christ and Christ crucified alone, and these other things come out of it for sure, but we lose and miss the point when we start boasting in the wrong thing. Our reformedness, our Daddy Gio, our freedom in Christ, they're not the things to boast in. We should be boasting in Christ and Christ alone. We need reformation. We need that straw and that hay and that wood to be burned up before it's too late. And we need to be building on gold and silver and precious stone on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after the don'ts, we maybe think, how can we do this? And just very quickly, in closing, in conclusion, Paul wraps it up in these last few verses with do remember. And he has do he has two do remembers as I see it here. He reminds them that all things are God's. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present age. All are yours. All are yours. This is God. All things are God's. And we need to be brought back and humble to the sense that everything is God's. And as we are really in the wonder of this, that everything is God and we have no room to boast, we are then told to remember whose we are. Verse 30, 23, sorry. And you are Christ's. Friends, we can do these do's and don'ts because we're Christ's. Christ has underwritten this for us. Christ is the foundation. You see, it's an amazing thought to think of all the world being God's. It's an amazing thing to think of God being the creator. It's an amazing thing to think of the holiness and the wonder and the awe of God. But what is more amazing is the fact that we sinful, messed up people are his temple. And we're his temple because Christ Paid the price for our sins. And we're in a temple because before time began, we were chosen to be his children. And you are Christ's. And that's what we have to remember day by day. Day by day, as we go through our Christian walk, as we get up in the morning, we would do well to remind ourselves there and then, I am Christ's.
and Christ is God's. How am I going to live this life? And I would say to you, friends, if you adopt that as your attitude, you will grow spiritually. You will grow spiritually. Because as you think on the fact that you are Christ, as you think on the price that he's paid for you, as you think on the fact that as you go into that day, you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, those things will motivate you. Those things will drive you. Those things will push you forward. As you fall to your knees, realizing that you cannot do this, you need God's grace. God will graciously help you and enable you. And you will start putting sin to death in your life. And you will start reading God's word with a new excitement. And you will start praying like you've never prayed before. And there will be a joy when you gather together with God's people because you are building on the right foundation. Christ is at the center. And the straw and the rubbish is burned away. And it's been replaced with gold and silver and precious stones that will be thrown at God's feet when we meet him one day in the fullness of time. So Paul had a message for the Corinthians. He had some do's and he had some don'ts. And those do's and those don'ts are the message for us today. And friends, we can do it because we're Christ's. And we can do it because of his grace. And we can do it because God builds his church. Amen. Amen.